0: This morning, I plan to continue or to resume the series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. And in case you're interested in trivia, this is the 15th message in the series, which we started about a year and a half ago. Uh, During that time, we did have a few interruptions to focus on some current events, address some current events, the last of which was a Christmas message in December. And some of you may remember when I started this series, I challenged you to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, or if that is too much, to choose at least a portion of it to memorize. And I also told you I'm not going to continually bug you about that, make yourselves accountable to each other, but I am curious, how many of you have reached the goal that you set for yourselves? Okay, it's mostly quizzers who memorized this passage that raised your hand. How many of you are still working on it? Okay, good. I see some people there. How many of you would like to resume working on it? Okay, some more. I just want to encourage you uh, not to give up. I think that would be a very uh, worthwhile activity and endeavor. So as we look at the message this morning, I guess that for those of us who are on the positive side of 50 years old, old habits die hard and it's a little bit hard to change our ways sometimes. We kind of get stuck. Uh, When the projector was installed at church, I found it a little bit difficult to get used to the idea of using PowerPoint when I preach. But now that we're in this setting and PowerPoint isn't available, I find myself struggling with that as well. Uh, I miss it. I've come to depend on that kind of as an aid to to help you follow along and make sense of the sermon. So since the PowerPoint's not available here this morning, I prepared some printed outlines, had them laying back there with the bulletins. Uh, Some of you may have picked them up. And uh, this is just simply an outline. If you wish for a copy to follow along, you're welcome to that. Um, Kyle and Jonathan, if you could just come forward And if you wish for one of these copies, uh, just raise your hand and uh, as long as they last, you can uh, pass them out on uh, each side. Thank you. The title of the sermon this morning is When Ye Fast. Looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And this sermon will be more topical in nature in contrast to some earlier sermons. For example, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, We went through that phrase by phrase, looked at each phrase, but by saying this message is topical in nature, we're going to look at the topic of fasting and looking at other scriptures as well and various teachings um, brought out in the Bible. However, before I do that, I would like to read the verses from the Sermon on the Mount that we're using for the basis of this sermon, and that is Matthew chapter 6, Three verses, verses 16 and 18, and I'll read those verses at this time. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret." And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Now, in an earlier sermon, we already touched on the point of not doing what we do for the praise of men. And that's somewhat the theme of the first 18 verses of this chapter. Uh, It talked about not giving or doing our good deeds for the praise of men, not praying for the praise of men, and not fasting. For the praise of men. And sometimes, I think, especially when it comes to fasting, I think we might misinterpret this principle a little bit to the point of almost being ashamed to let people know if we are fasting. And I don't think that was necessarily the point of Jesus' teaching here. For example, Jesus said that we should not pray to be seen of men, yet we recognize the importance of both private and Public prayer, and we also recognize the importance of setting an example of prayer and allowing others to know that we are people of prayer. Yet, few of us are willing to set an example in the issue of fasting. We somehow just kind of think that nobody should know. I believe it's appropriate that we do set an example. The point is not to keep others from knowing that we are fasting. The point is to not fast to receive their praise or to receive whatever glory we think that, they, that may uh, bring to our lives. So I think we should maybe be a little bit less bashful about this issue of fasting and maybe talk about it a little more and encourage each other in it a bit more. I may mention some examples this morning of fasting, and I don't do that to lift up the person that is being mentioned, but just simply as an encouragement to all of us to follow that example. So fasting is something that I believe when it's exercised, when it's uh, done with a pure heart and a right motive, it can unlock doors where other keys may have failed. It's a window that opens up new horizons. It's a weapon that God provided for us the pulling down of strongholds. So, I have a number of points that I'd like to cover, and I'll try not to uh, stall on these too much here, move through them uh, as efficiently as I can. And if you have the outline and want to follow along on that, you're welcome to do so. The first point, number one, a call to fasting. A call to fasting. And I believe today, this morning, there are many earnest believers, many earnest Christians who give fasting very little thought or maybe no thought at all. I think it may be more important than many of us realize. In our text in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus did not say if ye fast but he said when ye fast. It's understood that this is something that we will do. It's not as though the disciples might or might not fast. It's not as though some will and some won't but when ye fast, it was understood. Jesus left no doubt that he expects his followers to fast, just like he expects us to give, just like he expects us to pray. Other topics that are mentioned here, when thou doest alms, when thou prayest, and when ye fast. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus also addressing the question of fasting. Well, someone raised a question to him, He said, well, why don't your disciples fast? He said, well, the bridegroom is with them. But when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, then shall they fast. Again, very, uh, very direct. Now, I am confident that many of us who are present here this morning, perhaps most of us that are present here this morning, really want God's best for our lives. And we really want to do what God wants us to do. And I think fasting is a part of that. It's an aspect of God's will and desire for us. Uh, Just a little bit of history of fasting throughout um, the last couple thousand years since Bible times. I believe that fasting was practiced regularly and, and consistently in New Testament times by the apostles and the early believers. But then there came a time during the medieval times Uh, when some of the people maybe took fasting to an extreme. Last Sunday in the message, Dave mentioned the idea of asceticism, where people would have this idea that the more I suffer, the more spiritual I am. And they would deprive themselves of many of the common aspects of life. And fasting was one aspect that may have been taken to an extreme, where people just felt they needed to deny themselves of, of eating, and then later on, there were believers, Christians, who may have reacted to this and gone to the other extreme, where they almost do not fast at all. And perhaps the pendulum is still too far in that direction, and we need to find that, that balance of scriptural and spiritual fasting. So that is the call to fasting. Moving on to point two, I'll just mention a few examples of fasting. First of all, we have biblical examples, and I'll not spend a lot of time on this right now. Um, I may mention some of these later on, but some of the well known characters of the Bible who fasted Moses, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther, Anna, and the New Testament, Jesus, Saul, later on known as Paul, early Christians, as well as many other examples. Of fasting, some of the biblical examples. There are also historical examples, men through history who have been known for their life of prayer and fasting and some of the better known, David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Finney and many others. I'll just mention one of these to um, enlarge on a little bit. David Brainerd was a man who lived in the 1700s here in America and he was a missionary to the American Indians. And he was known as a missionary, but history remembers him perhaps even more for his life of prayer and fasting. And I remember hearing as a young child, and I don't know if this was a proven fact or not, uh, it may have been a bit exaggerated, I don't know, but nevertheless it left an impression on me. I remember hearing that David would go out in the forest in the wintertime, which that part was proven, he would go out in the forest in the wintertime and pray. But the part that intrigued me was that he prayed so fervently and so long that when he was done praying, there was an area of melted snow around him from the the exertion and the effort that he put into that. Whether or not that was true, I don't know. But he did spend hours praying alone out in the forest. Now, David died of tuberculosis when he was only 29 years old, a young man. When he died, he probably only had 40 or 50 converts through his efforts as a missionary. Maybe not considered the most successful, but one of his greatest successes, perhaps, was the legacy of prayer and fasting that he left. William Carey read his journals and was so moved that he was inspired to give his life to missions and that... Inspiration carried him across continents to reach the masses of India. Jonathan Edwards, he was about twice the age of David Brainerd when David died, but David stayed in Jonathan Edwards' home his last days, and in fact, that's where he was when he died. And David later, or, uh, Jonathan Edwards later said, I praise God that in his providence, Brainerd should die in my house just so that I might hear his prayers and be expired by his example. I think David's example of prayer and fasting was probably one of the greatest influences that he had on the world. A few contemporary examples. Hopefully you have had some people in your life that have challenged you to the aspect of, of fasting. I know that I have. Uh, various times, various situations I've been in. When I spent time in VS with Northern Youth Programs, this was something that they encouraged their staff to do and and provided some structure and some means to make that possible, and that left an impact on me. Uh, One of the more recent challenges, uh, a year or so ago at the uh, Muslim Impact Seminar that we had here locally, Elijah Yoder had a workshop on fasting. Many of you recognize uh, the name of Elijah Yoder. He's been teaching at SMBI for quite a few years. He shared some practical information on fasting. He also shared some of his personal experiences in fasting. And he has done a number of extended fasts, uh, perhaps weeks at a time. And his testimony, his words, my journey in fasting has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. So I leave that as a challenge, pass that on as a challenge to you. If you are not Engaging in this provision of God, that may be the blessing that you're missing out on as well. Moving on to the next main point, point number three benefits of fasting. We looked at the call to fasting, we looked at some examples of fasting. I'd like to look at some benefits of fasting. Uh, First of all, there are spiritual benefits. Number one, it is a way of acknowledging God. Fasting is a way of acknowledging God. Instead of asking myself the question, what do I get out of fasting? I think we should ask the question, what does God get out of fasting? And the passage that Dave read in Isaiah 58 is a a classic passage on fasting. And the emphasis that, that God was bringing out here is that you have been fasting the wrong way. And for the wrong motives, and when you do it the way you should be doing it, your experience in fasting will be entirely different and it will have entirely different results. But the point was people were doing it for the wrong route, for the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. And perhaps they were asking, Well, what can I get out of this instead of what can God get out of us get out of this? So fasting is a way of acknowledging God. In a way of, of focusing on him. And we see that again here in Matthew uh, 6, 16 to 18. The Pharisees were fasting to gain some kind of recognition for themselves. What they could get out of it rather than ministering to God. Then there's various passages that we could mention, bring out. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 5. God asked the question, When ye fasted, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? He's saying, yeah, you were fasting, but I'm not sure you who you were fasting on to. It certainly wasn't on to me. You had your own priorities. See, fasting is acknowledging God. Joel 2 verse 15 tells us that we should sanctify our fasts. In other words, it's something that is a holy experience. And again, in Isaiah chapter 58, uh, it asks the question. He says, people, people were asking this question, uh, why have we been fasting and you have not been seeing. They were praying to God. Why have we afflicted our soul and you haven't been taking knowledge? And the answer was very quick. It says, behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, ye seek your own pleasure. You're doing it for your own selfish reasons. So fasting should be a way of acknowledging God. Secondly, fasting should be a way of availing ourselves to God, just simply making ourselves available to God. I read a testimony this week of a a man who was uh, involved in Christian service, Christian ministry, but fasting is something that he had never done. And he felt challenged by that. He felt called to spend some time in fasting. So he designated this certain day, and he was going to fast. And his testimony is, when lunchtime came, he says, I did not know such a lust was within me. My agitation to eat was proof of the grip that food had on me. Finally, the aroma from downstairs was too much, and I went down and ate. He ate lunch from the day that he had decided to fast. He says, but when I returned to my room after the meal, I could not get back into the presence of God. I came face to face with the fact that I had disobeyed the Holy Ghost. And he goes on to say, he said, I did not take dinner for many days after that, but spent the hour with God. And the moment I got victory in it, it wasn't such a very big thing to do. It is while you still want a thing that you can't get your mind off of it. So he learned what it was like to just simply make himself available to God during that time. So it's a way of acknowledging God. It's a way of availing ourselves to God. It's also a way of aligning ourselves with God. I mentioned before, we think of prayer often as a way of aligning God with us, getting God to do what we want, but really it's a way of aligning ourselves with God. It's to draw our affection to things above. And let us beware of this idea that if I fast enough, I merit God's favor or I merit God's response. You see, fasting is not a way of twisting God's arm, of of forcing Him to do something, of backing Him into a corner, you know, okay, I fasted, now you've got to do this. It's just simply a way of aligning ourselves with Him. And it's a reminder that our physical appetites and our physical lives need to be brought into submission to our spiritual lives, to allow the spiritual to express itself. It's a reminder that we are not sufficient. So those are some of the spiritual benefits of fasting. There are also physical benefits to fasting. There's an old Egyptian proverb that says, man eats too much. Man can live on 25% of what he consumes. Doctors live on the remaining 75%. In other words, doctors make their living off the fact that we eat more than what we should. Someone else said, man continues to dig his grave with his knife and his fork by what he eats. There are many benefits. Fasting is good for the digestive system. It's good for your mental facilities. It's good for sharpening your senses. And there's more that could be said about that. But uh, this is not a medical discourse, and I'm not a medical expert. So I will leave it at that and move on to the next point. I'd like to look at some of the purposes of fasting. Point number four. What are some of the purposes of fasting? The first one, fasting is important to purify ourselves. Many times in the Bible, fasting was used along with the idea of repentance. And when personal change and personal purification and repentance was necessary, there was fasting that went along with that. I'm going to uh, just read quickly here a number of verses. Psalm 69, verse 10, the psalmist says, I humbled my soul with fasting when he knew that he needed to purify himself to repent. Ezra, a classic example of fasting, says, I proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves before our God because of the error of our ways. In 1 Samuel 7, Israel was fasting in repentance. During the days of Samuel and Nehemiah, again, the returned exiles fasted in repentance in Nehemiah's day, just as they had in Ezra's day years earlier. in Jonah, the people of Nineveh, fasted in repentance. And in Joel chapter 2, God pleads with his people. He says, Return to me with fasting. It's a time of, of repentance and purifying yourselves. So if, if you sense in your spirit this morning that, Maybe there are some changes that you need to make in your life. There are some areas of surrender that you need to give up. There are some things that you need to repent of. Uh, Fasting may be a way to help you to to work through that experience. Fasting is a way to purify ourselves. A second purpose for fasting, it is to prepare ourselves. I think this is a a very significant aspect of fasting that, that we could use more of today. Jesus undertook a 40-day fast in preparation for his earthly ministry. He was at the beginning where he was going to begin his, his short period, his three years of earthly ministry. And he began that with this fast of preparation for that time. He was consecrating himself for the fulfillment of his mission here on earth. Now, just a little bit of comparison. I find it interesting here. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, to the fall of man, the very first sin involved eating. It's a temptation for all of us today as well. But yet let's contrast that to Jesus' example in the wilderness. Adam and Eve failed. They were in a garden, a bountiful garden, Fully nourished by the provisions of that garden, and yet they failed to resist the temptation of food. Jesus, on the other hand, was in a wilderness where there was basically no food. He was met with the same temptation from the same tempter to eat. He had not been nourished in recent days by the fruits of the garden, he was in this wilderness. He was left weakened and hungry, but he did not fail the test, but he triumphed. And in that triumph, and as a result of that, he was able to restore the paradise that was lost in Eden. Saul was another person at the beginning of his ministry when he was on the road to Damascus. He was struck down by that light and he went into Damascus. For three days, he fasted. This was a life-changing moment for Saul. We might have a little bit about, uh, more about that later on. But it was the beginning of his ministry and he began his ministry by fasting. Later on in Acts 13, before the apostles appointed Barnabas and Saul to go out on their missionary journeys, they fasted. Our tendency is to have a commissioning service and maybe have a social reception afterwards and, and eat up. But their practice was to fast and to pray and to commission them. And to send them out. And again, later, as they appointed elders in the church, they did it with prayer and fasting. Daniel fasted, and the angel came to him and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. <coughs> you see how his fasting was a preparation for what was ahead. I think fasting is a very significant part of preparation. Generally, when I'm preparing a message, a sermon, I prefer to fast for at least one or possibly several meals. And if for some reason that does not work out, I feel that I missed a very significant part of that preparation. Sometimes flexibility may be necessary. If the day before doesn't work, maybe a week before will. But it's something that is, is very significant to, uh, to prepare as a part of preparation. One of these verses from Isaiah 58 If we fast as God wants us to, it says, Then shall your light rise in darkness, and the Lord shall guide you continually. You see how fasting is a significant part of preparation. Before I asked Martha to begin dating, I spent a day in fasting and prayer, seeking God's will in that matter. And it was very interesting for me, after we started dating and started to compare notes, to discover... That on the very same day, she had done the very same thing. Spent a day in fasting and prayer as she was seeking uh, God's direction in her life. Was that a coincidence? Uh, Probably not. It was reassuring to us. So if you're looking ahead at some new responsibility and you feel ill-equipped for that, or you're just seeking God's grace in that, it's an appropriate time to fast. We fast to purify ourselves. We fast to prepare ourselves. The third reason we fast, we fast to present our requests. The third purpose, to present our requests to God. Again, Isaiah 58, one of the verses that we read. Then shalt thou call when you fast as God intends you to. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say, here I am. And Ezra, verse 8, again the testimony. So we fast fasted and besought our God for this and he listened to our entreaty. I believe that heaven is ready to bend its ear to someone who fervently prays with sincere fasting and listen to their requests." The next purpose for fasting is to prevent the influence of evil. We need to recognize that prayer is warfare. And fasting is warfare. It's wrestling with the enemy. And when you're in a fierce competition, you want to make use of every little aspect you have at your disposal. I've been watching a number of people that have been involved in quizzing recently. And they study keywords. They study this type of question. They study that type of question. Because they realize that if there's one area that's left out, they're not going to be able to compete like they wish they could. And other types of competition are the same. You practice every aspect that you can. You don't want to leave anything out. And fasting, I think, is a tool that we often leave out in our battle with the enemy. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra, as he left Babylon and was going to head to Jerusalem, he was given a large amount of gold and silver to carry back to Jerusalem for the um, reconstruction of the temple. And he was concerned about his journey. And he said, I was, I was embarrassed. I was in shame to ask the king for a guard of soldiers to accompany us, to protect us, because I had already told him that God's going to protect us. Now I go and ask him for soldiers. That would be embarrassing. But he was concerned. How am I going to carry this large amount of, of gold and silver back to Jerusalem through this area that's infested with bandits and robbers. So what did he do? He called a fast and he asked for God's protection on their journey. Don't you think the same would apply for spiritual protection? God answered his prayer. God gave him a safe journey. Do we pray for protection from evil? Do we pray with fasting for protection for our children, our families, our church, our leaders, our nation. Fasting is a way to prevent the influence of evil. And the last one which is closely related to that, the last purpose for fasting that I have listed here is to procure spiritual victory. In Judges chapter 20 the, the Israelites were going to war, the children of Israel were going to war and they went to battle and they were seriously defeated in that battle. And they came back Actually, they had prayed before that battle, but they were still defeated. They came back, and it says that they prayed with fasting. They fasted and prayed and wept before God, and they went back to battle again, and God gave them an overwhelming victory. Don't you think the same would apply to spiritual warfare? Have you been losing battles? Have you been struggling? Let us come to God in fasting and prayer and depend on him to bring us the victory. You know, there are people around us, I say around us, I I believe it'd be more correct to say there are people within us, among us, in this group here this morning, that are bound by forms of idolatry and covetousness and fear, uncleanness, and more. I think God is calling us to fasting, to loose those bonds, to procure spiritual victory. Well, let's move on to some more practical aspects. I'd like to look at some types of fasting, different types of fasting, and I'm going to uh, try to cover a, a number of these types. First of all, there is the normal fast, and the normal fast is simply to go without food, either solid or liquid. It is not going without water. I think most of the most of the fasts mentioned in the Bible were a normal fast. For example, when Jesus was in the wilderness, it says he ate nothing. It doesn't say he drank nothing. He probably could not have survived in a physical sense anyway that long without drinking. And afterwards, it says he hungered. It does not say he thirsted. And I think most of the fasts in the Bible, this is what it's referring to, a normal fast where you go without any type of food, but not without water. So that's the normal fast. Then there is also... The absolute fast, Uh, absolute fast is going without any food or any water. And obviously, you will not do that for an extended period of time. There are several examples of absolute fasts in the Bible. In the book of Esther, when they were in this severe crisis where the entire Jewish nation was in danger of being wiped out, Esther came with this proposal to Mordecai. She says, let us neither eat nor drink. For three days. That was an absolute fast. Uh, Acts chapter 9, I mentioned earlier when Paul was smitten down on the road to Damascus and he came back into Damascus and he fasted. It says he neither ate nor drank for three days. And I'd like you to just think a little bit about the significance of that moment in Paul's life. First of all, there was this natural occurrence of being smitten down by light from heaven, which something like that had likely never happened before, unheard of. But, But that moment in Paul's life, Saul's life, that moment in history was a changing point in history. I mean, just imagine how that shook Paul to his core. He thought he was on the right path. He was very sincere in what he was doing. He was persecuting these Christians because he thought they were going against the Jewish tradition. He thought they were going against God. And God said, what you need to do is turn around and join these people that you were so adamantly opposing. I think that shook him to his core. It turned his life inside out and upside down. And it, it changed the direction of the, the Christian church from that point forward. Perhaps the upheaval in his life was so great that he didn't even think about eating or drinking as he was just trying to process this tremendous change in his life. But at any rate, he was engaged in an absolute fast. Now, an absolute fast is not something that I'm suggesting as a common occurrence, as a normal occurrence. It is something that is done in an extreme situation as an exceptional measure. There's just a a few situations of that. A third type of fast is a partial fast. And as it indicates, it's partial. It's not abstaining from, totally abstaining from food, but it's limiting your diet. Uh, Some people may choose to fast where they limit themselves only to drinking juices, fruit juices or something like that. That would be considered a partial fast. In Daniel chapter 10, we have an example where Daniel had a partial fast for three weeks where he limited himself from certain types of foods. No delicacies, no meat, and no wine for the full three weeks. Now, why did he choose to do just a partial fast? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe his royal duties, maybe he was kind of obligated to to eat in some of his duties. Uh, There may have been other reasons as well. Sometimes we could look at a partial fast as being ministry related. When John the Baptist was in the wilderness, he ate uh, locusts and wild honey. Your ministry may affect your diet. Depending on who you minister to, certain foods may not be appropriate. Depending on who you minister to, it may be appropriate to eat things that you're not accustomed to eating before, and that can take some grace as well. Someone has said when someone leaves for the mission field, he should sing the song, where he leads me I will follow, what he feeds me I will swallow. You may be be asked to swallow some unusual things. I don't know if John the Baptist enjoyed his uh, locusts and wild honey or not, but his diet was affected. So a partial diet or a partial fast, how does that relate to a spiritual fast for us? Well, maybe there's certain circumstances where you need to be involved in physical activity and you need to maintain a certain level of strength, and drinking some juices can help you with that. It can also be a stepping stone for people who have not been practicing fasting, a way to get started. It could also, for some of us, be a shortcut to avoid the hunger pains. So... uh, You know, there's times where it's appropriate, but let's not uh, shortchange our blessings by relying totally on that. So the three types of fasts we looked at were the normal fast, the absolute fast, and the partial fasts. I'd like to go on now by looking at uh, some more types of fast. There may be a short fast, and a short fast, I would consider skipping a meal or fasting for a day or maybe two days in contrast to the next one, which will be the extended fast. Skipping a meal, Uh, is that fasting or isn't it? Skipping one meal. Well, in many cases, it probably isn't. You know, our busy schedules or we oversleep or something and we're too busy to stop and we just keep on running. Uh, Oh, well, I fasted. Well, that fast may not have the most significance. generally if I fast, I prefer fasting for a day. If I eat an evening meal and I wait till the following day on the evening meal, it's, it's nearly a 24-hour period but that way I can still enjoy the evening meals with my family. I think that's a, a very appropriate type of fast. But a one-meal fast at the same time can be a very significant fast. I don't want to overlook that significance. It can be a very worthwhile experience and I'm not going to suggest that uh, it needs to be longer. That, that can be very worthwhile. Uh, it's a good place to start. I don't think God asks us to run before we learn to crawl. So if you're not experienced in fasting, starting with one meal is a good place to start. Well then the, uh, the fifth type here is an extended fast. An extended fast, it might be three days, it might be a week, it might be longer. Medical personnel tell us that a normally healthy and well-nourished body can live for weeks, generally up to about 40 days, without being injured or incapacitated by lack of food. Now, an extended fast is, I'm guessing, something that this group here has very little experience in. I know I have very little experience in that. Um, I'll just mention briefly there, if that's something that you feel led to do, there is a right way and a wrong way to do it, especially of a a fast of of several weeks. And if you feel led to do that, uh, a bit of research is important to work into it properly and work your way out of it properly as well. I don't think it should be done on a whim. Uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I think something like this is something that we should do um, only if we feel directly led by God to do it. There's, There's several phases of an extended fast that you go through. And usually after the first several days or a week, which is the most difficult time, I've heard the testimonies of people that say after that, I really didn't experience hunger. In fact, I just felt like, well, why was I eating before? I could go on indefinitely without eating. And that can go for a while until um, often around 40 days is when the hunger pains really begin to set in again and that's when starvation can begin to take place. So that's an extended fast. There are also Regularly scheduled fasts, the next type of fast, scheduled fast. I think there's value in this. Just like we have regularly scheduled worship services here every Sunday morning, just like we have regularly scheduled giving as we take our offering. We have uh, regularly scheduled prayer times, hopefully, each day. I think a regularly scheduled fast can be important in our life because generally if we don't schedule it, it's likely not to happen. And as we develop the practice, it becomes easier. It's kind of like a budget. Finding how you spend your money. If you don't budget, you end up spending things you don't want to. If you don't designate your time, you end up doing things that you did not intend to do instead of the things that you want to do. And I find that if you schedule a regular time for fasting, it can become something that you look forward to that meaningful time with God. It's kind of like a scheduled date night with your spouse, something that is a regular occurrence that you look forward to. Uh, So that's the regularly scheduled fast, but then there are also special fasts. This can be either personal or it can be public as a group in response to a special need or crisis, and we read of uh, quite a few of those in the Bible. I find it very interesting. I think every situation in the Bible that I'm familiar with where we read of a public emergency being met by a public call to fast. Without exception, God responded in deliverance. Do we face any crises today? Do we face any emergencies in our personal lives, in our families, in our church, Do you think it would be any less effective for us today to declare a fast and pray and fast together? Special fasts certainly have their place. And then the last type of fast here that I have is simply other fasts. And I hear quite a bit about other fasts. Sometimes I hear about people that are going on a dessert fast. I think that's primarily for health advantages. It can be good for helping to develop Discipline and health advantages. I know a man that uh, went on a one-month coffee fast, and he said that he was doing this just to prove to other people that he wasn't addicted to it. Kind of thought maybe he was doing it to prove it to himself, but I'm not sure. That's uh, just one example of of another type of fast. Uh, recently I was uh, challenged, someone here in the church gave me a link to a sermon that I listened to and a person was uh, preaching about fasting and he was challenging his congregation to a media fast, fasting from social media. I said, all I know your response to that is going to be, I can't do that, I'll be out of touch with my friends, with the world. He says, I know that, but that's the point. You see, the point of fasting is to get in touch with God. That's really the point of fasting. And sometimes to get in touch with one person, we need to decrease our interaction with another group of people. We all know that because we've seen it happen. I think every one of us have been in a social setting where we were visiting and one person in that group all of a sudden pulls out his phone and is sitting there texting someone else. Now what he was doing was choosing to remove himself from from one group of people to communicate with another individual. And we look down on that. We discourage that in a social setting. But that's what we need to do in our communication with God. We need to remove ourselves from the noise around us to zero in and focus on God. The point of fasting is to get in touch with God. So how many of you could say you've really been in touch with God. And if you're not, what noise needs to be cut from your life? What background noise do you need to cut out? What about this aspect of media? What noise are you hearing? Are you hearing what the Democrats have to say or what the Republicans have to say or what Dr. Fauci has to say or what the sports networks have to say? Are these noises crowding out The voice of God, I think it's time for us, and I'm speaking to myself, to dethrone the God of information so that we can hear the God of the universe. Now, I'm not encouraging you to be out of touch. I'm not encouraging you to go move into some monastery in the wilderness and cut yourself off from the world. I think you understand that. But the question is, whose voice holds the highest priority for you? Philippians 4.8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. How much have you heard in the news lately that's been true and honest, by the way? Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. Have you heard any lovely news lately? Whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So maybe... We need to cut back on some of those things. Uh, Just another aspect that I'll mention here in other fasts. What about sports and spectator sports? I won't say a lot about that, but if you come to church on a Sunday evening and have a hard time keeping your mind on the service because a certain team is playing football at that moment, it might be time to begin a fast. Or if your connection with God and your focus on Bible reading and prayer take a hit during football season or basketball season, it might be time to begin a fast. Now, we're talking here about other fasts, and I want to just clarify. Uh, We can say that fasting is is abstaining from anything that distracts us from God or hinders our communication with God, and, and that may be true. But the fact remains that when the Bible talks about fasting, I think without fail, it is referring to food. So I don't want to kind of take away the edge of what fasting really means here. I don't think it's fair to declare some fast from suites or social networks or whatever it is and say, I'm fasting. We should do these along with fasting from food, not in the place of doing that. A couple more points, try to move through here quite quickly. Who should fast? It's not simply for the super spiritual or the spiritual giants or the spiritual fanatics. I think fasting is for anyone and everyone who is serious about his relationship with God. This can include men and women, adults, young people, it can include everyone. Uh, One exception to that, there may be health situations that need to be taken into consideration. If you have diabetes or something, uh, you need to be aware of, of your needs in that area. Number seven, a caution about fasting. And that caution is, if you decide to engage in fasting, expect spiritual warfare. Don't expect it to be easy. It will throw you into spiritual warfare. It did for Jesus. You know what happened to him at the end of his 40 days of fasting. He had spiritual warfare. And we can expect the same. I remember a time when I lived in Romania before I was married as a single. And I had fasted, and at the end of that fast, I felt emotionally drained, and I felt discouraged. I was just discouraged. And I remember calling my sister back here in Pennsylvania and saying, "I just need someone to talk to. I, I'm feeling down." I said I don't know why. I don't think I should be, but I am. But I guess in that case, she was the angel that ministered unto me. At the end of Jesus' fast, the angels came and ministered unto him. He was involved in warfare. We can expect that. Don't make the mistake of judging the effectiveness of your time of fasting by how you feel. This may be the time when the most is happening. This is wrestling. It's heavenly warfare. Expect that. Okay, last point, a challenge to fast. Hopefully, what you've heard was an encouragement to you, but I hope it's more than just an encouragement. I don't want you simply to leave here saying, well, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I should try it sometime. But I hope that you can leave here saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this a part of my life. Today is the last day of the month. Tomorrow is the beginning of a new month. And for a little bit of an encouragement, it's the shortest months of the year. So it should be the easiest months to try some fasting. Set yourself a goal. Maybe it's one meal sometime in the month of February. Maybe it's one day sometime in the month of February. Maybe it's one meal a week or one day a week. Set yourself a goal. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, what would I do if I would fast for a day? How would I do? There's one book here, and I need to keep moving here. The Hour That Changes the World The the emphasis of this book is how to pray for an hour, and what it does, it it breaks an hour down into 12 five-minute segments and gives you 12 different ways that you can, 12 different things that you can focus on for five minutes at a time. It's available on Amazon. Not sure it's still in print, but they are still available. Uh, We used this book, when I was at SMBI, we had a night of prayer, and I remember looking forward to that, and I wasn't too excited about it, a night in prayer. Uh, I think I'm going to get tired. I think I'm going to get bored. I think uh, I can't see how this is going to be very meaningful. But uh, Val Yoder led that time, and he used the format in this book, and that was one of the most meaningful and enjoyable prayer meetings that I remember. So you might want to consider that. In conclusion, fasting remains a bit of a mystery. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it completely works, but I don't need to. It's something that God provided. It's a means that he provided. And sometimes scripture states facts without explaining them. God doesn't always call us to understand, but he calls us to believe and he calls us to obey. And I think if you choose to practice this discipline of fasting, you're expressing your earnestness in a God-appointed way And I think God will take notice. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities of the Christian life that you have provided for us. And I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of fasting. And I know this is something that uh, is an area that perhaps we tend to overlook more than we should.